Welcome to the Sanctum. Here we study the mysteries of Dungeon Crawl Classics and Appendix N. With your keepers of mysteries, Jen Brinkman, David Bainey, Bob Brinkman. Enter the Sanctum Socorro and be inspired. Welcome to the Sanctum Socorum Podcast, where we plumb the depths of Appendix N, specifically as it pertains to the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game. This episode, we are doing something special and taking a look at one of Jim Wampler's cited inspirations for Mutant Crawl Classics. And while you're waiting for that shiny new MCC book, we'll help you to serve this offering up at your DCC RPG table. I'm David, and with me tonight are Bob. Hey there. The lovely Jen. Hello. And our very special guest, the mind behind Mutant Crawl Classics, Jim Wampler. Oh, you're half right. Greetings, programs. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Yay! Well, I mean, like we're all friends, and we've all been on like parts of podcasts together. So it's just like old home week to me. Yeah. It's a pre-Gen Con, Gen Con. Or some Woo! Yeah, we'll go with that. <laughs> Let's get to our selection for this episode. We're going to talk about Commandy, the last boy on Earth who was done by Jack Kirby. If you guys don't know who Jack Kirby is, I'm not sure what we should say. Shame. It should be noted that we didn't read the entire series, but we did select a few issues from the Kirby run. I've certainly read the entire series. (laughs) (laughs) I would expect nothing less. So, Jen, do you want to give us a synopsis? I suppose I could do that. Commandy is the last survivor of the human outpost in the Command D bunker near what was once New York City. Commandy is a corruption of Command D, and it is unclear if Commandy ever had any other name. Raised by his elderly grandfather, Commandy has extensive knowledge of the pre-disaster world thanks to a library of microfilm and old videos, but he has spent most of his time inside the bunker and is unaware of the state of the world outside. When his grandfather is killed by a wolf, Commandy leaves the bunker in search of other human outposts. He soon discovers that the only other intelligent humans left on Earth are Ben Boxer and his friend Steven Renzi, a trio of mutants genetically engineered to survive in Earth AD. He also makes a number of animal friends, including Dr. Canis, the canine scientist of Great Caesar, leader of the Tiger Empire, and Caesar's teenage son Tufton. Later additions to the cast included the alien woman Pyra, the girl spirit, and the consulting detective, Mylock Bloodstalker, and his associate, Doyle. Even the most sympathetic animals, however, are nonplussed by Commandy and Ben's ability to speak. Commandy and his friends set out to explore the world of Earth AD in hopes of one day restoring humanity to sentience and civilization. Nice. Well done. Yes. Whee! I can read. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just start with the announcement. Flat out, Kirby is king. The man is prog rock without the music. <laughs> I, 
<laughs> having a chance to look through some of these old issues was fantastic. You know, you can see the seeds for Gamma World, Metamorphosis Alpha, Mutant Crawl Classics, all right here, just kind of brimmering in the background. The storytelling is simple, but it's comics from the early 70s. And the creativity, the action, Kirby's art, the comics read chapter by chapter like an adventure. They're fantastic. I was the perfect age for Commanding when it came out because I was like 11, 11 or 12, somewhere around there. So that's the age group those comics are aimed at. Okay. Well, guys, I'm going to be the uh, sore thumb here. I have to admit, when I was a kid growing up, for some reason, I didn't care for Kirby's art. Boo. Yeah, I know, I know. Jim's probably going to punch me in the face when he sees me at Gym Time. <laughs> no, no, your name's not Ken Whitman. <laughs> but, you know, the thing is, it's weird. It, it grew on me. And the last probably three or four years, I've really come to admire his art and his style. So it's kind of cool in a way because there's a ton of books that never thought to pick up that now I can, you know, enjoy. Some of you guys have already seen them and enjoy them, but it's, it's like a new discovery for me. So I definitely loved going through the Commandy stories. And I regret as a kid because probably middle school through high school, mostly what I ran was Gamma World. So this was just a, a bevy of ideas that I could have been delving oh, into, yeah. but, but I didn't. So it's kind of cool to, to discover this now. Yeah, you ran Gamma World without even being exposed to this. I wasn't aware of it. I really, And there and again, Kirby, for some reason, I was a John Byrne kind of guy, and the art was just a totally different style. So I didn't really, hate to say it, but I didn't really respect it then, but I, I have a, a great amount of respect for it now. I don't think you have to apologize for that at all because everybody experiences the same thing. Kirby's style is highly idiosyncratic. That's fair, right? Yeah. And when I was young, for some reason I dug Kirby, but I couldn't deal with Steve Ditko. And it was only as an adult that I began to appreciate what was going on in Ditko's art. And I'll top your admission that you didn't like Kirby. I didn't like Errol Otis. You know, in the late <laughs> 70s and early 80s, wow. you know, little, little teenage me just looked at that art and went, it's too weird. And I didn't like it. And then later, when, and you know, I, hey, I went to art school. I got something going, you know, some taste wise. All of a sudden I got it and yeah. really started to dig his art. And Jim, you're going to know the answer to this question. I, I know there's a term for the weird kind of galactic, bubbly, Kirby background. There's a name for that. And I can't for the life of me remember it. The slang term is Kirby Crackle. Kirby Crackle. <laughs> Kirby Crackle. That's it. Thank so that's you. Something you'd eat. Technical. Yeah. That's that Kirby Crackle. Why is it always about food with you, Dave? I don't know. <laughs> that's very appropriate, though. What about you, Jen? I gotta admit, this is perhaps the third comic series I've read as an adult, and this one only at Jim's urging. <laughs> but that means I came at it from a completely different perspective. I wasn't interested in studying the art of it or anything so i was pulled into the cool use of language in some places like one point when commandy is chased up a tree he's like yeah treed doesn't mean caught and all the humans are referred to as animal pup cub and even fido and they're getting caged and held as its city ordinance to register pets the side storyline regarding Cortexin explains how the animal creatures gained intelligence in the first place, but Commandy, as a pure strain human, is still far more adept with technology. So I tried to grab more out of the actual story and all of the tidbits than investigating every single line of art in there. I think my favorite tidbit was that radiation damage set in slowly as the characters approached an area versus an immediate hit point slam, like in <laughs> some games, like 
metamorphosis alpha. Oh, come buff. on. You like taking <laughs> ten dice of damage from radiation. It's the most interesting thing ever listening to you come to it completely fresh from a gaming point of view. I is what I is. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's cool, though. Well, it's references Mutant Crawl Classics. There are obviously specific choice bits that I just stole whole cloth like you do, right? You know, so in the museum at the end of time, there are cylinders of Cortexton that the players can find and go run out and start gassing non-sentient animals and plants and make them sentient. Oh, that's awesome. In some ways, with the Mutant Crawl Classics setting and Command D, that they're, they're not the same. Command D takes place at most three generations after whatever great disaster there was because his grandfather was from the before time and raised him right right and mutant crawl classics is thousands and thousands and thousands of years from now so that's not the same setting at all what i tried to take from what kirby did in commandy is the whole backstory to how he ended up creating the comic which i'm sure bob knows dc and marvel were in a bidding war for the licensing rights to do a planet of the apes comic and dc lost Marvel got the license and started doing Planet Apes comics. So Carmine Infantino, the editor-in-chief, approached Kirby and said, I need you to do me a Planet Apes knockoff. That was a simple task he was given. <laughs> and Kirby's storytelling interest all centered around action-adventure, mythology, and science fiction, but not so much grim, post-apocalyptic kind of things. He had a Depression-era work ethic where there was just no idea he didn't sit down and figure out a way to pull off. They did the same thing with the Demon Bob, where do a horror gothic comic, which is as oh, opposite yeah. Kirby as possible, and he sat down and figured out how to do it and created the Demon. There's a character still running around the DC Universe today. So what he came up with, with Commandy, I mean, on a surface it might look like exactly what he was told to do a Planet of the Apes knockoff but he took stuff that he had written in the 50s and stuck it in the comic all the talking intelligent sapient animals and things like that were repeated tropes for him and turned it into pure action adventure so it's post-apocalyptic but it's a sunnier post-apocalypse well and, and didn't he work in his own philosophies in there like the great earth cataclysm syndrome yes he, he worked that into the storylines see I take notes <laughs> it's what I do so that's, that's what I wanted to do in Mutant Crawl Classics, and it's for pure game design reasons more than it is for my personal taste, because my hypothesis is that really dark, everybody's in a gas mask, the sun never breaks the overcast skies, you know, it's everybody's road warrioring it around in tanks and leather spikes, is fun for a change of pace. When you're tired of, like, slaying the dragons and plumbing the dungeons, that's a good change of pace game to play for a while, and then you go back to what you're doing. I think the Mutant Crawl Classics setting will have more permanence for campaigns because it's funner to play funner yeah technical (laughs) (laughs) by moving the timeline up you're now well past the extinction event and the earth is reflowering and there's this crazy evolutionary radiation of mutations that's an open-ended you have an excuse to make anything yeah pretty much am i making sense yeah. Kirby's excuse to make anything was DC came to him and said, we want you to do a Planet of the Apes ripoff, and by the way, we've canceled the books you were working on. Right. <laughs> you know, so... That's a fine how do you do. Yeah, so... Joseph Goodman and Jack Kirby would have got along great because back when this was being created in the 70s, Jack would put like seven or eight crazy ideas that you would turn into seven or eight issues of a comic. He put them all in one issue, and then next issue, do it again. So he was God. like the original crank it to up to 11 guy. Yeah. yeah. You know, reading through the issues and going through the chapters, everything just keeps piling on. It's not just one continuous flow. It's okay, there's this going on, and now that's going on while this is going on. And it, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It's like pyramid storytelling. It's wonderful. <laughs> 
I'll tell you one iconography thing I'm a fan of that's in the Commandy comics too is when he drew the intelligent sentient animals, there's a lot of illustrators will just stand the bear up and dress him, right? Or it'll just be a humanoid body with your exact cat like you have at home's head on it. And Jack Kirby didn't do that. Those sentient animals all have skulls that would contain a whole human brain. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. It does. It, it really shows with uh, they, Dr. They, they were humanoid animals rather than just an upright bipedal animal that happens to have hands. Right. Yeah, it, it really does show. The art, the art style is, like I said, it's prog rock without the music, man. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's awesome. So do we want to talk about maybe some things we could stat from Commandy for DCC? Since there is no MCC license right now? <laughs> Since the game's not out yet? Yeah, we should keep it to DCC specifics. That's okay. We'll give people things to play with while they're waiting. All right, so kick us off, Bob. <sighs> Fine. Uh, <laughs> might be easier to list things not to stat. There's Ben Boxer and his nuclear-powered companions with... The fact that they were like fission in a jar with dampener rods built into their chests. Of course, any of the mutant animals, the the wolves, the leopards, the tigers, the rats, those could be done as races. And in some ways, I think it'd almost be fun to flip things. And if you were going to set a DCC game in this world, it would almost be human. It would be race as class and let wolves have... You know, warriors or rats have scavengers and have those as races that could be the various classes. Huh. Isn't that an interesting idea? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, For so... people with far more time than us. <laughs> the real monsters, the giant frogs, the radioactive insect devils from behind the barrier, the primal men, uh, those weird things that came up out of the water in their diving bell. <laughs> There's so many great things to stat. There's weapons, there's places, there's people, there's not people. In the four (laughs) issues we read, I think I could probably make a list as long as my arm, so I'll just sort of keep it there for now. (laughs) What about you, David? Um, Well, you pretty much hit on uh, a lot of the things that I was thinking about when I went through the few issues that I did. So, as always, you leave me flat and empty uh, trying to figure out something. (laughs) Uh, But no, um, God... I love the... <laughs> Feel the but, love here, man. <laughs> it, it, it's true, Jen. When you see the show notes and you look and you see, like, 22 things listed out for, like, Jen, and she goes to them, and I'm like, those were my five things, so what do I do now? I'm just kind of... Well, no, that's why we let you read those five things. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really think that the, the races of the animals were really cool, and if you're going through DCC, you could, uh, whether or not you're trying to... Um, emulate a a post-apocalyptic world or even just you know keeping it fantasy all those races would be really cool to develop the underground new york scene when the rat men if i'm not mistaken is that what they were called i think they just called them the rats yeah yeah. i thought those were really cool and you know not so much for statting i think that the idea of like an underwater adventure the new york city backdrop and the, the the issues that i read I just thought that was really cool. So you could take, you know, I think we, we, we get so used to, to playing in the typical uh, fantasy or, or whatever where you're on land. I'm one of the few people to admit that I actually enjoy Waterworld. Um, I hate to say that, <laughs> but um, I love the idea of there not being much, if any, land. So I think it would be really cool to not just stat things up, but to take things like the whole area of New York City, even if you didn't use New York City, but... You know, using a, a post-apocalyptic setting where 
most of the world's underwater and you know and you can do a lot of investigating exploring and fighting against creatures that are created for that environment i think that would be pretty neat and then you can get campaign maps at any local gas station (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's brilliant Thanks, Bob. Now I want to start doing that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I love the, uh, there's a lot of technology, which, you know, I'm not going to name anything, but just the three issues I read, there was a ton of things that you could go with. So I think there's plenty there. How about you, Jen? I'm going to be short and succinct on this because I flourish in, in the next sections. Uh, <laughs> I really liked the heart disc. I think statting that up, essentially the, the fission inside Ben Boxer's Oh yeah, that chest. was cool. And the gopher people. They're essentially reskinned dwarves. There you go. So that would be an, an easy flip to make. Hey Jim! Were there any specifics in here? <laughs> I, because I'm privy to some email traffic between Joseph and people approaching Joseph about MCC, I just want to, for clarity, let people know that there's not a compatible with MCC license yet. But there will be. Joseph just wants to get the game and the modules out so everybody has a baseline to reference from before he cuts fanzines and stuff loose with it. That makes perfect sense. He did the same thing with DC. Oh, exactly. Yeah, and since the game's not slated to release till next year... (laughs) That said, you've got the preview rules for MCC that came out in the Gen Con Guide. You've got the Museum at the End of Time that came out on Free RPG Day. And the system is 100% compatible with DCC. So... There's a lot you could do in there if you were going to stat commandy characters. That issue that you talked about, Jen, that has the little gopher men who are maintaining their vibration machine to keep that giant sandworm-looking thing, that's all in the museum at end of time. I stole it. (laughs) (laughs) Plunked it right down in the second level. So we know exactly what, what Jim Wampler would stat because he has statted it. And the, and the game proper when it comes out, that whole uh, idea that there's a radiation barrier in the northern part of the continent and insect evolution has happened and there are giant grasshoppers that if you can break one, you could use as a mount. That's in Mutant Crawl Classics. I just stole it. That's nice. awesome. Very nice. And, you know, that's that's just what I did. Everybody at home is free to run amok. Well, I think people are going to... to go through all of this listed source materials. And I love the fact that, and I'm, I'm going to talk about the Kickstarter just briefly for a moment, with the adventure path that you've released, you know, the list of adventures you want to do, and each one has its Appendix M inspiration. And I think that is fantastic. Yeah, we're all over that. So people can start reading this stuff now and really get their juices flowing and, and get geared up and, and start getting crazy with this. Yeah, if you don't mind, uh, we could share it on the site too. Oh, please do. And uh, I just did what Joseph asked me to do. <laughs> He's like, can you break it down like A, B, C, and then show where it came from? I'm like, sure. All hail the dark master. All hail. For you. For you, Joseph. <laughs> I mean, when you get an old copy of that Andre Norton book, Daybreak 2250 AD, and hold it in your hand next to a copy of Commandy Number 1, it's clear Jack Kirby read Daybreak 2250 AD. Oh. Because the, co- the covers are all one is like an homage to the other so i'm not the first guy to look at some of this cool stuff and go i'm having that nice (laughs) yeah that's a hell of a menu i like it yes it is well that and i want to is it hero's journey or hero's journey it's got the telepathic moose yeah (laughs) hero's journey and unforsaken hero yeah i've got to read those just because i want to stat a telepathic moose oh they are so good of course you do bob (laughs) will it be will it be a creature or will it be a class I don't know. I haven't read the book yet. Okay. Well, uh, 
the fun parts about reading, going back and reading appendix in literature, like I didn't, I will admit this in public, I didn't read any Jack Vance until about five or six years ago. I just never gotten around to it. And then suddenly I'm reading Jack Vance. And I'm like, oh, that's an imprisonment spell, right? So when you read Hero's Journey, you're going to suddenly see where Gamma World, what were they called in Gamma World? I've got the, I, in Mutant Crawl Classics, they're called archaic alignments. <laughs> what, were the, what were all the little organiza- yeah. organizations in first edition Gamma World? Uh, I'm just blanking. I've yeah, got the rule book right in front of me somewhere. Anyway, we've that, all that... got this age thing going on. So <laughs> I never played Gamma World as a kid. So and I never read Jack Vance until you suggested it, Jim. This is just a show of confessions, isn't it? <laughs> True confessions. Dear Sanctum Secorum, I never thought it would happen to me. I'm a complete fraud. I have a whole apartment full of <laughs> of, of a hundred chimpanzees banging away on computers and when one of them comes up with a game i publish it um no uh, michael curtis was right it's <laughs> <laughs> because michael curtis was giving away secrets so but there's a lot of you can see where pieces of game world came from in hero's journey is that kind of the uh are, are you looking for the old game world equivalent to the uh the way things are sort of organized in, with the uh, mcc characters well, I kill two birds with one stone in Mutant Crawl Classics. Um, there's no traditional alignments. It's one of the differences between DCC and MCC is my hypothesis is that in the post-apocalypse, it's such a brutal world that the concepts of law, neutrality, and chaos have lost most of their meaning. So for in MCC, the alignments are all social constructs. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I like that a lot. Like uh, I'd suggested the player character start out in the clan of Cog or the clan of Cognition, which is just a, you know a group of people that believe you should respect sentient life doesn't mean if something tries to murder you you don't murder it back but you just respect each other because that provides an in-game reason for a bunch of mutants animals and plants and humans to hang out right yeah and that's what the nice. uh the pregens were for free rpg day they were members of the tribe of cock yeah yeah and, and again that's just a suggestion uh, anybody buys the game you're free to do whatever you want that's the whole point i did exactly what joseph did with dcc where he provided uh uh, it, it's DCC flavored setting, but it's it's a, a baseline setting that you can come along and, and make it Punjar or make it Aerith or make it you know whatever you wanted to make it. I did the same thing with MCC, so you could move it if you wanted to. And and it stays within the same basic core mechanics as closely as humanly possible, as closely as mutantly possible. Uh-huh. <laughs> I see what you did there. Yeah. So, uh, how about some props and audio, David? You know, I think of games like Fallout, the soundtrack to that, and uh, some other, I guess, post-apocalyptic games. The soundtracks to those, a lot of those you can find on Spotify. Um, You could throw those up in the background just for some general ambiance while you're running your group through a post-apocalyptic setting, whether it be MCC or if you're using a a DCC-themed game uh, set in a a post-apocalyptic environment. A good friend actually ran us through a Deadlands adventure long time ago and uh, there was a mad scientist in this house and he was doing some crazy experimenting and he played on a Bluetooth speaker. He, he queued up Tiny Tim's Tiptoe Through the Tulips. <laughs> and, and it was so creepy. I mean, it was just the, the it's one of those moments that you, you never forget. It's not necessarily the, the adventure itself, but just that moment, you know, he created that scene and that song was so perfect. But um, I believe uh, I haven't played all of the Fallout games, but um, I know at least in one of them there's like some the music's kind of nostalgic in a way. So I think you could you don't you whole, like find a radio or something? Yeah, but the 
I guess what I'm getting at is with a, a post-apocalyptic type game, you know, with Jim's idea of thousands of years ahead, you may find uh, music from, if you're going by Earth, maybe in the 30s or the 40s, you know, you may find some big band music. So I think that would be kind of cool to, to go through and just pick out some specific timeline, or not timeline, but I don't know what I'm tr the word I'm trying to find or look for. But um, any kind of music would work, but I think it's really cool to actually go back, even though you're so far in the future, and, and throw some music out there for people that's kind of nostalgic to them. It ends up being kind of creepy. Yeah, and that that's and sometimes that's a really, you know, I think that's kind of cool when you, when you can creep uh, people out, Bob. You know that uh, <laughs> with your many uh, yeah. terror-filled adventures, but also like Fury Road, and, and I hate to keep harping on, I guess, post-apocalyptic soundtracks, but I think they actually work pretty good. Um, there's plenty of sound effects. You know, a lot of times when, when I have a quiet room and I'm running a group, I'll actually have music queued up um, by Spotify, but then I'll also have another uh, Bluetooth whether um, using a SD card or, or some other device that plays more ambient sounds. So like if you were in the, the wasteland, you know, the, the wind and just kind of a desert sound is constantly going in the background or if it's raining, you know, those two mixed together kind of help build a scene. Very cool. Nice. Uh, props, you know, uh, there's there's so many things. The cool thing about any... any <laughs> what was that? I know what that was, Jim. Damn what did it, you Jim. do, Jim? <laughs> I can almost play music because I have several of them. Awesome. <laughs> so they're sonic screwdrivers. Uh, and yeah, we are but children with toys. Go, uh, go to the the whole radiation thing. You guys, you can buy like used uh, dosimeters on eBay oh. for like radiation, and 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 some of them actually. Some of the things that we actually use at the fire department, the Geiger counters that, you know, you use the little wand and you run them over things, you could probably get one of those fairly cheap. And they all come with like a tiny, kind of the equivalent of Jim Wampler's uh, radiated dice. You know, there's oh. like a little chip and you can hide it. But you could actually use that at the table during a scene where maybe they've got a device that's measuring radiation in the area and have them actually sweep the table or wherever you've got it put. I'm not going to tell you where the firemen hide the uh, radiation disc when we're actually playing hide and seek with it. But, um, that's just I, a few things. Oh my! <laughs> that is brilliant for the table, though. And if you don't like the player, you can just dose them with polonium. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Bob? Especially since Commandy is from the very early 70s, I started thinking of music from the 60s, like In the Year 2525 by uh, Zager and Evans. Mary Hopkins did a song, Those Were the Days, and it's a, kind of a sweet song, it's kind of sappy, but even more so than Tiptoe Through the Tulips, it's got a real chilling bit of history that goes with it. And I'd say that would be the song I'd play while explaining the catastrophe in the past and describing the fallen civilization. Because on uh, Christmas Day 1975, the president of Equatorial Guinea rounded up 150 men that he claimed were plotting to uh, overthrow him in a coup. And they marched them all into the national stadium. And while those were the days was playing over the PA system, each man was shot in the head. That sort of real horror 
really sticks with my brain, the dichotomy of the terrible event and the sweetness of Mary Hopkins. Use that as a background for a tragic narration and, and your players are going to remember it. I don't know. I, I don't know if that would be a very good character funnel, though. Everybody just gets round, <laughs> round, round, round them all up and shoot them. Well, that's the scene that they're they're witnessing. That's where you plop them in. Got anything lighter? Well, uh, there's a nice little piece of music from the Jack Kirby documentary that's pretty tight, more action-based. Music by King Crimson, uh, especially songs like uh, 21st Century Schizoid Man. And like I said, I mean, Jack Kirby really is prog rock without the music, so if you want the audio to go with those far-out visuals, look at groups like Yes, Pink Floyd, Dream Theater, Jethro Tull, Tool, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, the Peter Gabriel years for Genesis. And if you really just want some some cool, epic instrumental stuff, look at some of the music of Frank Zappa. Zappa! All of that stuff. For post-apocalyptic, you can pull all that. Use it. And since, since progressive rock is all about kind of the big epic adventure-style songs and that, that feel, for me at least... It really fits uh, Jack Kirby. For props, any number of everyday things could be weathered or distressed or aged to give it that feeling of oh, yeah. uh, gravitas. A- anything feels like an archaeological find if you bury it in the dirt for a while. Pick some small, strange-looking electric fixture, cover it with dirt. Give your players half of a buried hairdryer and let them be as dumbfounded as their characters <laughs> are. Oh, I- what the- this is my favorite thing about this style of game, and I learned to do this in Camera World. In the beginning equipment the characters get in MCC, there's a, a listing way up in the 90s that's just small shiny thing and large shiny thing. And, <laughs> and people and people get those things on their character sheets, and they ask me, what is that? I'm like, you tell me. What is that? And the things that come out of people's mouths. Oh, it's a fusion-powered uh, electric shaver. Okay, you've got a fusion-powered electric shaver. Of course, think, learning how to use it will probably kill you, but... <laughs> you you think it's a bug collar, because that makes a buzzing sound like the insects in the jungle. Okay, go. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Yeah. Y- there's, there's so many awesome possibilities there. Jim, when you were working on MCC, what sort of music were you listening to? This is an interesting question. Um, Dof- Doug, it, wasn't, it wasn't heavy metal, so Doug Kovacs, please forgive me. <laughs> 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 Nothing against heavy metal. Dave will like this, uh, judging by his answer. I listened to a lot of soundtracks to post-apocalyptic movies, like the uh, old Charlton Heston movie, The Omega Man. That soundtrack oh, was done one. by was done by Ron Grainer, the same guy who wrote the theme songs for The Prisoner, Doctor, Doctor Who. Yeah. Ah. And it's a wonderful soundtrack. You know, so the Daft Punk Tron Legacy. Oh, and, I love that soundtrack. The soundtrack to the Bakshi cartoon Wizards. and Oh, and Blade Runner. What a good soundtrack. Oh, that kind yeah. of stuff. Just, you know, kind of kind of heavy, kind of broody sort of stuff. Because even though I want it to be a sunny or post-apocalypse, it's still got to have its melancholy, right? It, it still has to be gritty. It's still about digging up the remains of a doomed civilization. <laughs> Very true. If you were going to bring props to the table, what would you bring? I am such an analog game master. Um, for a guy who works in the tech industry and has every electronic toy you could possibly own, I'd just... Uh, I'll go find like Kirby art and run it through my inkjet printer and just hold it up. Okay, you see this. You know, I don't know about. I, I'm not a prop, prop, proppy kind of guy. Uh, Matthew Teets does these little laser cut things. He likes to give out at uh, Gary Con, and he gave me a bunch of them that uh, had my head in a jar and my name and Mutant Crawl Classics on it. So you know, <laughs> whatever. But he's like, and you can give these to the players. And so I'm like, okay. 
who would want this? Oh, wait. And I hand them out to everybody and said, these are your uh, radiation, the glow detector badges you were given before you went out on your rite of passage. If, you know, right now they're all clear and used oh. them as a prop that way. Nice. Nice. And in answer to your question of who would want these, I think the answer is all everyone. All of us? Yeah, everybody. Yeah, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, you know, like your irradiated dice. Exactly. And that, I've got to say that, that was really cool. I, I have one of those little old-era Geiger counters at home, Dave, that you're talking awesome. about. You, you, you go on eBay and get them because they were everywhere in the 60s yeah. and 70s. And those dice are no longer radioactive. Unfortunately, the plastic didn't hold it. <laughs> so they're, oh. they're, they're not radioactive anymore. Well, uh, you know, considering the way they were irradiated, they were so lightly. I mean, they weren't they, like, just above background to begin with? Yeah, sure. Well, of course. You know, <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, it's Bob, not like hush. they were strontium, you know? I mean... <laughs> Slightly more radioactive than the potassium in a banana. I went and got a uranium ore chunk off of Amazon and just put them in all in a cigar box together. That was it. Oh, that's nice. funny. I tried using my grandfather's World War II radium watch, but the radium had lost all its radioactivity. It wasn't radioactive anymore. In the oh, well, watch. that's a letdown. <laughs> I know, right? Considering what happened to the people that painted the radium on the watches, again, that's just sort of a creepy factor that attaches itself to the dice. Because those women all died horribly. <laughs> Well, this is just one of the many pieces of evidence for why I am clearly insane. I mean, because anybody <laughs> else would just paint, put glow-in-the-dark numbers on the dice and be done, which is exactly what Joseph's going to do. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, they have to really be radioactive. Maybe artisan <laughs> dice can make some depleted uranium dice. Oh, God. Yeah, they won't be radioactive, that. but they'll be heavy. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So what about you, Jen? Going to props, I gotta say, my favorite part of one of Jim's playtests in Cincinnati was the description of an artifact. You were painfully explicit in it that the item in and of itself, it, it just stumped the whole table for a bit. It turned out to be a ballpoint pen. <laughs> and so for judges on this note, I would say give your players credit, because it's easier to regress into that primitive state of mind than you you may think at first. All it takes is a little bit of crayon writing and saying, here, you're a four-year-old, and you'll have players down there playing with blocks and throwing crap at each other. It's easy to, to fool them. I, I gotta say, on, on kind of a funny note, Commandy seems to be driving away with everyone's vehicles in, like, every single issue. So you could just throw out a random toy car of any type. You know, you'd have a different one for each game. I think a, a talking tank is pretty creepy though no matter what creature you put inside it yeah um for sound effects i gotta say i'm i'm pretty partial to the prisoner and the sound the the orbs make oh that the, rover makes yeah oh that's so, good that, well that, chosen that would be my my particular choice yeah, that the God, I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah, the sound the that kind of warbling and roar. Oh yeah, that that would be good. Those things are in Michael Curtis's The Great Stone Hell Laser oh, are they? Adventure. Oh. Yep. There's a there's a whole deep water filled pit of those things and you don't want to mess with them. Yeah, see, now now that we have each, you know, put ourselves into our own personal hell. Um <laughs> Well we know there's plenty of existing stuff out there already. What would you take and reskin with the Kirby, Bob? Tower Out of Time would be just perfectly easy. I mean, you could substitute wow, the yeah. 
the humans of Commandes Earth AD with the cavemen, and I think there'd be very little difference, and certainly be easy to drop in against the Atomic Overlord. I, that's, in a lot of ways, I think against the Atomic Overlord is a pre-MCC, MCC-ish adventure. You know, it certainly is an adventure that could be used to bridge the gap if you want to take DCC characters to MCC. Completely intentional, too. It's all part of a master plan. <laughs> it has to It be. has to be. Because otherwise we're just making this up as we go along, right? <laughs> <laughs> Those are the two adventures that, that leap to my brain. I think they'd both be very easy to, to reskin with this material. And they're both really great adventures to begin with. I mean, I think I've played the Tower out of time like two or three times. And I've died horribly several times. So... <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you. Okay. You're welcome. <laughs> what about you, Jan? Oh, me? Well, should we go to David first? <laughs> He's compla- he always complains that one of us steals all of his stuff. <laughs> we'll go to David next. Hey, David, what do you want? What would you reskin? Well, assuming that you guys were going to steal all of mine, I went a different direction. <laughs> um, That's what yeah. we do. We wait for David to make a list. And once you let, once so you let South Carolina get ahead of you, you're in trouble, just so you know. <laughs> So what'd you pick? Actually, I didn't necessarily pick a specific adventure. What I actually think would be kind of cool is to take some of the um, existing Gamma World adventures that have been out for years. You could very easily take one of those adventures, and with some minor tweaks and changes, you could very easily make that into a DCC adventure. Use the story. Use some of the creatures, but just restat them. There's a a multitude of, of adventures out that have been out for years that you could use to do that with. I've, I've really kind of, in the last few weeks with some of the projects I'm uh, working on, started going through actually some of the, the DCC adventures and thinking about how those could be used in different genres. So you could certainly do that with uh, other adventures that TSR used to put out uh, for Gamma World. And I think, I think they would all make great DCC post-apocalyptic themed storylines and adventures. Legion of Gold, baby. Uh, there you go. <laughs> Bingo. So, yeah, that's kind of what I was... Um, that's the angle I went with this, assuming that you guys would take all of my DCC picks away from me. <laughs> well, I've got to say, okay. if you're going to take if you're going to take an adventure from a, a different system, I would take a Death Ziggurat in Zero-G, Joe Bittman's Metamorphosis Alpha adventure. Oh, yeah. It, I mean, oh, it, ha- it has an old Home Depot. <laughs> <laughs> So that'd be another good one to reskin. How about I tell you the DCC adventures I have reskinned and run in my MCC campaign? Oh, yeah. yes, 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 yes. Because it's easy. That would be awesome. Um, we had a lot of fun with uh, reskinning Michael Curtis's Intrigue of the Court of Chaos. Uh, that's one of my favorites. Which in Mutant Crawl Classics happened in the dimension that the chaotic AIs live in, which happens to be the ionosphere Van Allen belt of the planet. So the players all got sent there. <laughs> Oh, neat. <laughs> and uh, Joe Bittman's okay. book, Cario's Gambit. It was very easy to reskin it in. Oh, yeah. Because it's already got time travel in it, so you're already halfway there. I remember the, the cover of it that you showed as well, with, with the colorations added in. That that was really It was fun to do, fun. but Doug hated it. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. <laughs> Didn't ask him. <laughs> well, you should always respect the art. Well... Yeah. Especially when he might Some, meet you in a dark alley. Especially when you need him to do more covers for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's that too. 
especially after he did that fantastic cover for MCC. Oh, yeah. oh and uh, uh, Hole in the Sky. Hole in the Sky... Hole in the Sky and MCC oh, yeah. uh, turned into uh, boom tubes that took everybody to uh, post post apocalyptic Mars. <laughs> it was awesome. Oh yeah. Oh neat. Because because I like all the Kirby's at once. <laughs> at once, put them in a bowl, stir them up. Yeah. Well, I I looked at starting with two of the earliest third party products, Attack of the Frogs. You actually have mutated amphibians versus just mutations of a fantastical sort or you know fantastical monsters and perils of the sunken city has mutated critters and a transformed environment especially underground there's david Beatty's underwater new york city <laughs> hey. oh you know what you're right throw a little of uh yeah. jamaica in there and, and you're good right other third-party products you know crawling under a broken moon especially the mall mall oh my god how could how could we not even mention them uh, it's what I do, Jim. Uh, crawl Jammer. You always have artifacts. The playtest that Tim ran for us last year at Gen Con had us feeling like Commandy himself. Cool. I, I mean, and I didn't realize it then, but after reading this, I'm like, oh, wow, light bulb. And Theater of the Hammed, which is Order of the Quill, I believe. You've got the ruins off the water, giant mutated crabs, and just, you know, little things here and there that yeah, that that's totally... Even if it's not inspired by it, it's a perfect image of. And it's such a great adventure. There was this uh, not-quite-third-party product, um, the little Mutant Crawl Classic tournament that we played in, <laughs> in Cincinnati. <laughs> it was essentially short episodes or issues for each scene, and we didn't have a good time at that one at all, Jim. Oh, um. <laughs> I'm trying to. Re- I, it took me a second to remember what you were talking about. Oh yeah, that was that was like King Kong versus Devil Dinosaur, more Kirby. As, 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 uh, yeah, and yeah. there was like Thundar and Planet of the Apes. Oh my God, there were so many different great Star references. Trek. Yeah, <laughs> and the ones from Goodman Games specifically. Um, Bobby already touched on Tower Out of Time. For specifics to go into, you've got the Monster Lake, the otherworldly structure on the water, and. You know, of course, they're prehistoric men. Against the Atomic Overlord, the land was obviously previously inhabited by modern man, but is now full of other creatures, some mutations of that, and a lot of the resident technology and whatnot. And I gotta go back to the yield standby, Sailors on the Starless Sea, because they're not, don't make them beastmen, that, that's a little too obvious, but you get the traveler routes in there from Commandy. And even throw like a high tech ship as opposed to the the boat that you know takes them across the the underwater ocean. There, you could actually make that more of a high tech kind of traveling. I did dig the traveler routes though, Commandy, and yeah, that that's much like those vines in uh, in sailors that are just so creepy. I think we'd be remiss if yes. we didn't mention Michael Curtis's Frozen in Time because that was written to be an homage oh, yeah. to Metamorphosis Alpha and Expedition of the Buried Peaks would work great with MCC. Oh, okay, that's. That's very true. You know, I, I list a bunch, but I try to keep them kind of succinct because the guys get tired of me just droning on and on no, and on with everything no, I found. No, You guys let so me drone I, on and on and on. It's okay. I, I try to limit myself to like four minutes of solid talk time. <laughs> so you're telling me I'm firing the thrusters in the wrong axis? Nope. <laughs> no, I'm I'm saying that I'm. I'm saying this as a CYA measure so that everyone knows there's so many modules and we love them all, but it, it's hard to put your brain on 
the specific ones that you're looking for every show. We try. We love you all, but um, <laughs> you're you're so prolific. <laughs> I think it would be easier to say what module could you not reskin. Oh, because um, it's just like you know every every one that you guys mentioned. There's probably ten more that we didn't. I know what one I wouldn't reskin. I I know I know exactly which adventure I would not reskin. Tumaharas, <laughs> our feature adventure for the show, the Museum at the End of Time by Jim Wobbler. It doesn't oh, need to be reskinned. Yeah. You're so Sucka. so clever. <laughs> well, that would bring us to the Museum at the End of Time by the Master of the Cabal himself, Jim Wobbler. Yeah, whose uh, yeah. baseline appendix in reference is the chapter from H.G. Uh, Wells' The Time Traveler, which I fell in love with as a child. That just blew my mind. He was way eight hundred thousand years in the future and found a ruins of a museum. I think I was like 10 when I read that and went, wow! (sighs) (laughs) Well, we would be remiss at this point if we didn't mention that this has also been listed by N-World as one of the most highly anticipated new releases. Yeah, Mutant Crawl Classics RPG. Also listed by Gen Con as one of the most underserved games of the convention. See, not yet released. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. So, so no wait, what? Gen Con said this this system is underserved or something? Yes, there there's was... such a high demand. For oh, because people trying to so get in few adventures being run. God, yep. Uh huh. It was so, it was in their top so step five. Step it up. Get more road crew people I mean, on this. I Come on. I certainly make every effort to do better. But me, Taco John, and Joseph went out on our recruiting rampage. I mean, it's not just what, everything I'm running. I'm only running the tournament. Uh, Michael Boland's running games. Dave, you're running one, right? Yeah. Uh, hang on, my startups mentor had a word for this. These are good problems. <laughs> yes, they are very good problems. Yeah. It's because you've given everybody the free taste, and now they've got to buy into the Kickstarter. <laughs> well, I'm just human, and I'm also getting up there too. So, I mean, I I can't, you know, run Mutant Crawl Classics until two in the morning in the Embassy Bar. But if I could, I would. Sure, you can. You just don't run anything else. We just else need a mainline some Reese's cups. You know, set up an IV and liquefy some Reese's cups. For you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you're, you're the one that said you're getting up there. We can blend it and put a straw on it. <laughs> we'll blend it with espresso, with Cuban espresso, out of a metal can. Oh, God. You'll be all set. I'm not, Make not a constitution sure save. Your heart explodes. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, now that Free RPG Day is behind us, and the world is, at large has gotten their first taste of the long-awaited Mutant Crawl Classics, and the Kickstarter's gone live, what better time to delve into the museum at the end of time which takes the world of DCC and brings it to the sensibilities of Gamma World. Characters in the Museum of Out of Time are primitive tribesmen from the clan of Cog, who set out across the radiated desert in the wake of a recent glow storm. And what they find is a building filled with great wonders and dire threats, including one that looks to be heavily inspired by Jack Kirby's Commandy. It's perfect. Dude, dude we should have hired you to right? write the cover blurb. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, I'm available. You could hire him to read it. Uh, that way you could just attach a little wave file. <laughs> oh, like the, the cards, that, the, like the greeting cards that talk. You just open the cover and Bob's voice comes out. Yeah, that's nightmare fuel. <laughs> you know, It would be awesome! Now, what are you talking about? Great, that would be such a killer stretch oh, goal for hush, the hush, book. Sh- sh- yeah, we want to make it so that the book that. opens and talks. <laughs> It's the $200,000 stretch goal. You open the book and it talks. Oh, awesome. Dark Master's going to kill you. <laughs> God bless Joseph. He puts up there, you know, uh, which color green would you prefer for the MCC dice? <laughs> yeah. And 
and I, you know, I love everybody, but you know the internet. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, you know, you could end up with, like, greeny McGreener <laughs> dice, because it's the internet. Jim, I know there were several inspirations taken from commanding other things. Why don't you walk us through a few of them? Well, I don't want to spoil the adventure itself, but uh, uh, if any anybody's... I, sh- I should say, uh, Joseph would shoot me if I didn't, that anybody that's interested in uh, looking at it, it was a free RPG Day print product that got pretty hard to find on the day of, but there's a free PDF of it and the Gen Con uh, guide preview rules on the Kickstarter. And you don't have to back the Kickstarter to get it. You just go there, click the link, and you've got PDFs of everything that's come out so far for MCC. So that'll give okay. you a, a taste that's of it. That's awesome. Who does that? I, that? That is unheard of in a Kickstarter. Well, actually, it's a great way to get people to, that's you know. brilliant. I thought it was a pretty shot. good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that is really cool. But uh, I'm sorry. What was the question? <laughs> All right. Tie, tie the appendix and influence into the adventure. That's what I'm supposed to do, right? Yeah? Yeah. Okay, uh, well, there's uh, there's uh, Here's the thing that I tried to do. You can judge whether or not I did it successfully. The way those Commandy comics actually read is though they're in real time, and it's just one action-adventure episode book ended by another. Commandy never stops. He never kicks back. He never relaxes. And I tried to create this adventure along those same lines where it's just boom, 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 boom. Because in playtest, I've had people decide they didn't even want to bother with the second level of it because four solid hours in the museum just wore them out in a good way. In a good way, right? Okay, I could see that. You know, on Free RPG Day, the party that I was running that went from 20 members to four members decided to avoid that second level. <laughs> They're like, no, you know... We we were sent out to bring back a great trove of artifacts, and when there was twenty of us, this wasn't a great trove. Now that there's four of us, we have a great trove. We're leaving now. And uh, you know, this is this is just my personal game design philosophy. But saying this live on the air now, you will be able to watch for it. I like uh, uh, ordering a written adventure with a potential TPK at the front door and at the end. Everybody expects the big boss fight at the end, but I like a. You must be this tall to ride this ride <laughs> sign at the front door. And um, the one or in the museum at the end of time is the simplest damn thing on earth. And I, I, I don't want to give spoilers out, but it's just... I, I think it's I just lost a, a character in the very first part. I'm astounded at how many people lose characters at the entrance. And it, there's actually, I, I think I counted three or four potential TPKs. In this oh adventure. well, it depends on how you measure them, but yeah, depends on how closely the party's standing. Everyone should go all the way to the bottom and check it out. But there's a potential TPK that's not a TPK; it's a total party something else that could happen down there. Ooh. I'm very proud of. I read that sequence, and as a judge, it terrified me. <laughs> It's like, this is so cool, and yet so terrifying at the same time. Well, and then there's the, the gopher men. Right, the gopher men. Um, what, I think you guys were in an early playtest where that was just a sand shark out there that the gopher men were keeping away with their vibrating machine. I decided that was, you know, too typical. So now it's a silene serpent. It's a silicon life form that, if you know just to dump water on it, you can actually hurt it. Although I don't think the level zeros can still defeat it then. But, you know, a, a, a crystalline tube with no face and a maw full of glass teeth. That just burrows through the ground and swallows you whole. And that's straight out of Commandy. It's pretty creepy. Yeah. And there's other similarities, too. I mean, the, both Commandy and this adventure deal with, you know, forgotten technologies. You've got the giant glowing areas of radiation. I love the uh, the storm on the way to the museum. I think that's a really yeah, neat of piece of too. writing, Jim. <laughs> 
it, it, it's hard to articulate in words, Kirby Crackle, but I tried. Yeah. Yeah, well, it, it, it is, and that's exactly what I pictured when I was reading that description. Hopefully we can find some, some good examples of Kirby, Kirby-style Kirby Crackle that we can... I, I was going to tell you, I just didn't want to interrupt you when we were back on music. There's a group that's really good called Kirby Crackle. You should totally <laughs> go check them out. Yep. I'm making it Yeah, I've got... Okay. Oh, really? I've got, a, I've got a couple of their albums. I dig their stuff. Fun. Not Doug Kovacs cool. approved. It's not heavy metal. Yeah, uh, he, he's into a lot of punk, too, so it, it, it's all right. All right, since you haven't touched on it, um, my favorite similarity on this one is the physical aesthetics of Kirby's mutant animals. Yeah, we talked about it briefly before. You know, the cranium is actually big enough to hold a human-sized brain, and it's not just a dog that walks on all fours. The mutants are both recognizably animal and mutation, and most are even human height. So I, I liked the similarities and all that, too. If you're talking about the art, that's all Stefan Pogue in the published version, and Stefan is just like my favorite guy on Earth. Well, and, and the story, yeah. It all ties together, and and it's equally appreciated. And now in MCC, they're manimals, right? Is that it? Yes. Uh, the classes are uh, Sentinel, Shaman, Healer, and Rover for Pure Strain Humans. And in the early version of the game, Pure Strain Human was just a racist class, too, but... Uh, Joseph made some notes, and I thought better of it. And then mutants, manimals, and plantians. Plantians. Those are so much fun. <laughs> well, here's what's funny about it. I never got wanting to play a sentient plant, right? Like back in the game world days, and they just didn't exist in my game world universe. But everybody wants to play them. Everybody begs for them. So at the very beginning, I'm like, okay, I got to do this. So how can I do it and make it cool? And then I did what I did to try and make it cool. Now on the Kickstarter, everybody's like, is there a cyborg robot class? And in my head, I'm just going, you know, there'll be lots of third-party publishers, and, and they'll that, they'll take care of that. That's exactly it, yeah. Something like that, to me, strikes me as an NPC you might encounter as opposed to a player character. It's hard to be a, a primitive tribesman cyborg. Well, well yeah, yeah, and plus as a judge, I want control of all those robots and androids <laughs> and holograms because they're they're my monsters. They're what you've got to deal with, and and you know you may negotiate with one or have a master one. That's fine, but I'm still playing him. Yeah. Drop anybody that wants a, a cyborg character. Drop their actual character into Westworld, Ouch. and uh, if they can defeat Yul Brenner, <laughs> they can play one. <laughs> Okay. See, I can't do that in the Kickstarter comments because it would start something up. But, but, but that's what no, that, no, that's no. the answer. No, those are my characters. <laughs> I'm the judge. Those are who I get to play. Well, and and the way planchants are are handled is is really cool. And I've got friends that played Gamma World, and they were the you know the telepathic cabbage that had no <laughs> mobility whatsoever and had to be carried. And that was never my thing. But when I got to play Kegger, the barrel cactus planchant. <laughs> That was awesome. that happened in my home campaign where, and it was before Guardians of the Galaxy the movie came out, where a poor planting character, you know, missed a bunch of saves, tanked his radiation saves, and lost all his mutations, and they were carrying him around in a pot for a while. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Nice. Do we have anything else we would like to cover from the museum at um, the end of time? From the museum at the end of time? Uh, I think you can still get some copies of the module if, if you look at some of the usual culprits. I know uh, Noble Knight Games still had some copies of it, but they might not be free. Uh, Noble Knight, it's, no, they're not free, uh, th- okay. and you can get it on eBay. And check the check the G plus community. There's people there's people that had picked up a couple yeah. extras. 
because their stores weren't hit as heavily. I'm sure they're for sale on the Goodman site. The last I looked, Noble Knight was selling them for a penny with a $15 purchase. If you bought 15 bucks or something else, you could get one for a penny. And cool. that's not, that's not bad. a bad deal. Yeah. It's almost free. Yeah, and, and Noble Knight has a lot of great stuff. So it's where it's where I've picked up a few DCC <laughs> items for Jen. So, like the infamous pace setter up <laughs> issue. And if you're going to Gen Con, I'm sure there'll be a stack of them at the booth. Yeah, most likely. So, and, and the MCC Kickstarter is is live right now. It's blasted into its second set of stretch goals. Oh, yeah, yeah, we went right through the first set. And it's going through uh, the night of the 19th, we'll say. It funds at like 3 a.m. The night of the 19th well, and... Uh, be midnight on the 20th for, for Pacific. So when you're listening to this, you've got four more days to jump in and and grab all the MCC goodness. There's add-ons. There's a ton of stuff that's being included with it for just the cost of the book. So Right now it's up to, what, five PDF modules? Uh, yeah. And the, the total path is seven, I want to say, or is it eight? Yeah, see, uh, I know what's coming. Well, so the announce- so by, the, by the time this airs, it'll be all that and more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I mean, it's it's a Goodman Games Kickstarter, so there's going to be so much great stuff to grab. And, I mean, it's already more than worth the price of admission. I mean, just the, the stretch goals are worth the price of the book. Well, sure, you, you get, in, you get so, in for 30 or 40 bucks, which is what the book cost anyway, and you've got six PDF adventures automatically to run. Yeah. And, and, and they're liable to end up being print adventures soon for an add-on price. Wait, for what you get, I, I think the foil cover is yeah. 60 and it's six modules. Well, that would normally be sixty bucks. So you're still you can get the foil cover, and you're essentially still getting yeah, those it good one guys. They know what they're doing. Yes, yes, they do. It's they give you a taste, and then they wait. They wait in the back alley and <laughs> and roll dice with you and take your wallets. And we love them for it. And I would like to subscribe. Do we have any uh, road crew shoutouts this time around? Uh, we do. A uh, friend of the show, Troy Tucker, continues to run games every Friday night at Shamrock Games Yay, in Troy. Port Charlotte, Florida. Uh, a mind-blowing number of judges are going to be spreading the Dungeon Crawl Classic love and the Mutant Crawl Classics love at Gen Con Indie, August 4th through 7th. That includes five Mutant Crawl Classic adventures being run by Michael Bolum, Julian Burnick, David Beatty, and of yeah, course, some Jim Wobbler. <laughs> some guys out there. Some guy. And, you know, folks, we would love to see what you create based on the works we covered, especially if it has Kirby <laughs> Crackle. Um, you can submit uh, events or creations to us at the hub at sanctum.media. You can find us on the regular social media sites, Google+, Facebook. We still shun Ello. Uh, keep an eye out for future topics. We can include your material in the show companion. Uh, remember, if we eventually get to doing a printed compendium, we're going to be looking for art to flesh things out. Original art. Yes. And we hope we've inspired you. Thanks Thanks for listening. Jen, do you have any final words? All hail the Dark Master and the Cabal is all. <laughs> David, anything? Uh, nothing. We'll see you guys, I hope, at Gen Con. And thank you, Jim, for being on the show today. Yes, thank you. Well, thank you for having me, and thank you to everybody that's participated in making this Mutant Call Classics thing happen, because it's just my name as the writer, but everybody who ever playtested it, and there's a bunch of writers at Goodman that are getting ready to jump in the pool with me. Thanks to all of that. Thank you, Jim, for, for coming on the show. Congratulations yes. on, on getting this live and, uh, and how wonderfully it's been accepted by the community. And we will see you all next time, folks.
be inspired. You have been listening to the Sanctum Secorum Podcast. again next time when the Sanctum opens to discuss the brackets, the purple priestess of the Mad Moon. The Sanctum Sequorum Podcast has been a production of Sanctum Media. Copyright 2016.